Hello and welcome to Truer Love Stories, a podcast dedicated to real people wanting to create real love. I'm your host, Taryn Newton-Gill. In each episode, we'll explore the stories of people who are at a crossroads in their love life. I'll help our guests navigate their personal love story by providing them with holistic ways of writing a new, more empowered narrative around love, one that's truly aligned with who they are and what they want. Hello, welcome back to Truer Love Stories, where we talk with real life people in real time about their very real love lives. I'm so grateful to have you here, and I hope you get a lot out of this episode, which I think is really an important one. You know, trust is something that can be challenging for anyone, regardless of our attachment style, because sharing ourselves with another person is vulnerable, right? Because it opens us up to the potential for pain. And so when our trust is taken for granted, it can leave some very deep scars especially when it comes to physical or sexual abuse, which violates our entire sense of being an autonomous person, right? Because our physical body is the agreed-upon space that we singularly inhabit. It's the space that defines us to the rest of the world in terms of where we end and where they begin, right? Physically, materially speaking. And... It's what protects our mind and our soul. It's the temple of our spirit, really. And that temple is sacred. So when it's disrespected, it naturally affects our entire well-being. And it can make us feel incredibly unsafe within our own body and within our own mind. So when we've experienced this kind of trauma, trusting again doesn't usually come easily. And that's the case for our guest today, who so courageously opens up about her past trauma and what her process has been like to move through that trauma so that she can experience connection with someone she loves. And I really want to acknowledge her because it takes a lot not only to address this kind of trauma on your own and acknowledge it within your own self, but also to share it in a space where other people will hear it. And our guest says that that's exactly why she's sharing it, because she's found it healing for her to share her story, and she hopes that others will heal from relating to it. And I don't know about you, but I find that pretty awe-inspiring. So I'm really, really humbled and grateful to our guest today for everything she's about to share. And I also want to make a note before we begin that I am not a licensed therapist, right? I am a relationship coach. So while there may be some takeaways in this episode and while we do discuss the nature of specifically sexual abuse and trauma and the power dynamics that come with that, I highly recommend that if you have experienced trauma or if you're currently experiencing it and you haven't worked through anything yet, I would definitely seek out a licensed therapist to help you with that. That said, I do hope that you find some guidance and solace from our discussion today because I think even if you haven't been, you know, in the exact types of situations that our guest has been in, I think there's a lot to take away from this episode in terms of the nature of trust and the nature of building healthy connections. So that all said, 
let's get into it and listen to our guest's story. All right. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Of course. So to kind of give our listeners some context around your story, you are in a relationship with a man who you've been with now for a while and you live together. And so far it's the healthiest relationship you've ever had and it's going really well, but you find yourself bumping up against maybe some discomfort around physical closeness. Maybe he's a little more wanting of that physical closeness and you find yourself a little resistant. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Of course. Um, I would say that his love language has always presented as physical touch and for me, you know, that is important, but at the same time, it's something that isn't that easy for me. Um, I'm still in, I would say, the middle stages of unraveling um, some sexual trauma, um, kind of related to more so the almost like entitlement over women's bodies in the sense that they are not receptive to what you're saying or what you're doing. Um, and it's kind of added a, a layer of discomfort around that. Okay. And when you say the what you're doing or what you're saying, do you mean you as the woman in the situation? That they're not receptive to it, meaning like whoever you're being intimate with isn't paying attention to you really? It's, um, it's more in a sexual trauma sense of it's, you know, they don't react to you in the way that they're actually kind of listening when you say, no, I don't want to do that. You know, no, we're friends. Like I, you know, I'll preface a situation around, you know, we're just hanging out. Like this is not a hookup, that kind of stuff. And then they're making moves. And, you know, in my experience, I usually tend to kind of go along with it. Um, but at the same time, like there's a, there's a lot of verbal communication around it. And then when things go too far, they don't, they just stop listening or, you know, I Mm. have been in situations where I, um, was drinking with friends and then it ends up being the next day. And then, you know, there was a lot of things that had happened that, um, I definitely wasn't consenting to or in control of, and it was more on the the male that kind of um, took advantage of that situation previously. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And so there's, it sounds like some trust issues around people who maybe were supposed to be your friend and then crossed a boundary and there was no acknowledgement or there was an ignoring of your saying no or what you needed, like you not feeling seen and heard in the situation and then maybe disrespected, which is the nature, of course, of sexual predators and the dynamic there. It's a power dynamic at the end of the day. Uh, So I want to bring it back a little bit. I know this was, you know, this is kind of the heart of what you're working on, but 
in our initial call, you told me a little bit about your upbringing. And I think that that's really relevant, at least in terms of your own feelings of being able to speak up and self-worth, just kind of how that is manifesting for you and integrating in your life and your other relationships. And now your current relationship where you feel safe and good, um, but are still kind of having some trust issues around that physical space. So, um, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about kind of your family situation um, when you were a kid? Yeah, um, for me, my uh, parents got divorced when I was really young. And I think my mom really had a lot of wild oats to sow. And, you know, as I got older, her behavior became more erratic, uh, more unpredictable, and essentially a little bit more dangerous in her dating life to where... She would, you know, bring people home, have them stay. And it was definitely a dynamic of she was, you know, not in control of these situations. She was actively being taken advantage of. There was definitely a lot of, you know, sexual encounters that I just, you know, happened to have witnessed to where I understood that there was more than friendship. And a lot of it just was one of like that ideal of, you know, she was just, not, you know, not asking for what she wanted or getting what she needed out of situations, whether that was, you know, physical, emotional, or otherwise. And then when I became a young adult, you know, that experience really built a framework around how I saw relationships. So when I would date someone, you know, their needs would come first, their behavior, like what they wanted came first. And I just was kind of like a passenger in that situation, not really voicing what I did and didn't want. If it was, you know, more of, you know, very routinized three to five times a week where we'd have sex, it was like something I just played out. That's a scenario. That's just how it was. That's how it was in relationships. Um, And as I continued to kind of sow my wild oats after a really long-term relationship, I would get into very similar situations as, as I felt like my mom had been where, um, you know, you're in a situation with a friend and things go too far beyond what you wanted, but on what you stated and you just kind of have to go with it. You know, it's like, you don't have a power in that situation. So you feel like your mom, what she modeled for you, you didn't see a lot of agency on her side that she was really going with the flow with these people. Yeah. And I feel like she thought she was getting, you know, what she wanted, but the dynamic never you know, never felt right, at least to me as an observer. Um, but I just thought that's how relationships work. And because she kind of modeled it that way, I I had this like deep sense not having the same, like having other kind of role models, female role models to look up to in situations where they were more empowered. Um, I took that as a message of this is how just relationships are. And it took me a long time until this kind of activity just got a lot worse. And then my last relationship was, you know, I was very controlled and I didn't realize until getting out of that relationship that I didn't have to be in that dynamic that I could be empowered and that I could um, have my own agency, have my own ability to express what I wanted and didn't want it. Okay. Okay. Uh, Well, First of all, that's amazing that you were able to see that. You know, it's really hard sometimes to see our own patterns. So for you to even notice it and identify it and then adjust 
you know, takes a lot. So I hope that you give yourself some credit for that growth there, you know? And then in terms of your mom too, would you say that she was emotionally inconsistent with you? Yeah. So kind of as we got my brother and I had an older brother at the time, I have an older brother and, um, during like our childhood as we got older and more self-reliant, she would see that kind of as a window to more so continue to kind of neglect us because we could function on our own mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, and she definitely had, um, a lot of emotional issues and a lot of mental health issues that never got addressed because she was very charismatic. Um, Mm -hmm. and even into later life when my brother and I were both independent adults, um, things just continued to get worse where she was, you know, homeless and she was diagnosed with cancer and had been basically burning every bridge that she had. And kind of as a family, we realized, you know, we came to an educated, like a semi-educated decision that she was in fact bipolar, which we had felt for a long time, but we also felt that she had some level of personality disorder. And knowing that, looking back um, on my upbringing, that made a lot of sense um, about her behaviors and uh, and how she navigated her life and how she navigated uh, being a parent. So, mm-hmm. and also, I mean, that all said, like my dad moved back home to Pennsylvania when I was nine. So I didn't have that, level of father figure around. And even before that, after the divorce, it was every other weekend. So there really wasn't a predominant male figure outside of the many men that kind of passed through her life. Yeah. And so for me, I ask these questions because I see a theme of inconsistency emerging. And I know we had talked about on our previous call that you think maybe in terms of your attachment style that you're possibly fearful, avoidant, otherwise known as disorganized attachment, which just to recap for our listeners and for you, if you want more information on it is, you know, when both our parents have some level of inconsistency because our level of confidence and trust is built through consistency And so if you have a parent, first of all, who's absent, that in and of itself can create some kind of levels of avoidance um, or inconsistency just because they're not physically present, right? Um, And so if your father moves away from you when you're nine, and then you're left with a mother who's also emotionally inconsistent, it makes sense to me that you would be disorganized attachment. Um, And the core of that style is um, the core wound there is a fear of betrayal. And so how that manifests is just not being sure what to expect each time you approach a parent, not knowing if things are going to be as they were before, if they're going to treat you the way they did before, if they're going to disappoint you. Does that resonate with you, those kind of qualities? It definitely does. I mean, um, with a, you know, every other weekend father that that's definitely already inconsistent. And then knowing that he, you know, left at age nine where I was still, you know, quite young um, and just really not having him around. And there was not a lot of communication with him after that point. Um, And my mother definitely treated me as a codependent um, kind of around her own mental illness where 
my emotional needs were never met because right. she was extremely inconsistent in her emotions. And I was always more of a confidant for her rather than her being a mother to me. Right. Right. You had to take care of her at a young age. And so you got used to being hyper aware of her needs and also not getting your needs met as a child. And so a lot of that adds up to a lack of trust. And so trust is a really big issue for all the insecure attachment styles really deal with trust, but it is compounded for the fearful avoidant who gets it from both parents, right? There's some level of lack of trust from both parents. And so it makes sense to me that in your relationships, as you saw them, you know, evolve and unfold as an adult, that you didn't put your needs first. And so that makes sense that there would be a lack of trust that you're going to get your needs met. Does that make sense? And so then in your relationships as an adult, you know, you didn't know to ask for that. You didn't know how to ask for that. And so it makes sense to me that that would also translate to a situation where, you know, you shouldn't have been put in any way in terms of, you know, a sexual abuser. But then even when you're in that situation, you didn't have the tools and in even in a non-sexual abusive situation to speak up, right? Um, mm-hmm. And again, I really want to bring home that that doesn't make it your fault in any way, right? It's just that in terms of it still being an issue for you now, of course, you know, sexual trauma is one of the most violating things that can happen to someone. So it's going to stick with you, of course. But I, I'm kind of trying to illustrate the fact that you are already predispositioned not to trust. So when your trust has been violated in such a way, it makes sense that it would show up in other relationships, you know? And so going back to your current relationship, you know, especially around physical, you know, it's like the exact thing that could trigger you, you know? So how do you kind of take this information about your style and who you are and kind of, you know, become more comfortable and kind of find what that space is for you, where you can feel comfortable with your partner and um, in both a physical way and a non-physical way, because that ultimately is the goal I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely part of the goal and finding what is a right size fit for our relationship between when I know I, I do need space when, you know, it's just not a good time to be physical or be intimate and um, we can be on the same page about it. Yeah. And a lot of that's going to come down to you knowing yourself well enough to know, you know, this is actually just my avoidance side and I need space right now. And it's that simple. Or is it that I want to be physical, but I'm having a little, you know, PTSD or distrust and I want to work through it, you know? And so that's one thing is just kind of making that distinction, I think, you know, um, for yourself just on a daily basis. When are the times when you really feel like you need to be alone? Are there certain situations uh, with or, you know, mostly surrounding your partner, but not just the physical piece, just you know, when emotionally you feel like I need to go be by myself right now and making sure you're asking for that, you know, and then, you know, trust is based on consistency, like we've been saying, right? So the lack of consistency creates mistrust, but having consistency is what will create trust, right? And so 
the way I think of it is physically with your partner, it's what are some kind of signals or safe words, you know, that you can kind of integrate into your relationship so that you know when maybe you're in a certain mood, there's a word you say and your partner will know, you know, to step further away or to be closer. Do you know what I mean? Um, Because Mm -hmm. that's maybe his love language. But if it's not your first love language, then it's kind of like you have to translate to, you know, you're going to be translating between each other's love languages. And actually the person, Dr. Gary Chapman, who created the concept of love languages talks about that, that a lot of times people think that if they find someone who doesn't speak the same love language, then the relationship is doomed. But all the work he does is showing people that, no, you might learn, you know, you might grow up in Italy and know Italian and your partner might have grown up in, you know, France, we'll just say right next door, but don't speak the same language. That doesn't mean you can't learn their language, right? You might not be as fluent in it as they are because it's their natural language, but that doesn't mean that you can't communicate with each other, you know, and learn to be more fluent in it, in each other's languages. And so to me, that's what kind of the work is here, which is how can you both learn to be a little more fluent in each other's languages, you know? And, um, And that doesn't happen overnight, but it is kind of making these little adjustments to build new kind of containers and frameworks around that communication. So um, I don't know, maybe could you give us an example of an instance where your partner wants to be a little more physical in some way and you don't and how it goes down? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like he, um, like I said, he is much more of a physical communicator than a verbal communicator. And so, you know, even in instances just like passing each other in our hallways and things like that, like he will engage in like hugs and kissing and all that, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and it's his way of expressing his attraction. And, and at times it's like, okay, but in my head, I'm like, I'm, you know, trying to go ahead and do something or I'm like, I, you know, it's not the right moment. So it's just really kind of being like, you know, communicate that level of not right now or like just a little too much, you know, or, you know, or like, and if I'm accepting that level or communicating that I want that back, obviously continue those kinds of behaviors. Okay. So maybe it's the kind of thing where, you know, the hallway is the time where, you don't necessarily want to be touched physically, but if he wants to express himself, maybe it's that he can blow you a kiss. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I personally, my love language is physical touch. So, you know, I know that when my husband goes to say, I love you, I blow a kiss, but I'll make sure to say, I love you. And he'll make sure to blow kisses more knowing that that's how we are, you know? So is there like, you know, in each situation that you know that, something like that happens, maybe there's like kind of comfort levels around those different situations where it comes up. So that's one example, you know, where maybe there's an adjustment to be made that you're both comfortable with, you know? Um, And then maybe it's more like, okay, but when we're on the couch watching TV, is that a situation where you'd be more comfortable, you know, in that setting with the cuddling and the kissing or is, is that, a good example of that? Or is there another situation where you might feel like you're more inclined to cuddle and be close like that? Yeah, I feel like on the couch, because it kind of depends. We live in a, you know, kind of a tight quarter. So 
a lot of the times we'll eat on the couch. I'll work on the couch at times too. And I feel like I, I can definitely clarify communication around it, but usually like when I want to kind of have more of a cuddling, like we're watching TV or a movie or whatever that is. And just kind of like what I have done in the past, it seems to work well as I like ensure that he is going to sit next to me. So like if it's the dog bed in the way or pillows in the way, I'll move them and like pat the couch and be like, no, come sit closer. Um, so yeah. it's, there's definitely like a signal there, but I think there definitely is be needs to be clarification around what that, what that means. And like in other situations, what it, you know, that it doesn't mean that for example. Right. So in other situations, like meaning like you would, would you only, when you pat the couch, I guess, what do you mean by that? Just sit next to me or do you mean more? I do usually mean more. So it's like, I do kind of like to have like a good amount of physical space most of the time. So it's like, that's like that invitation to come closer. And then usually like I'll hold his hand or things like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's definitely more communication, physical communication, like of, of opening up to that. Okay. And so you wouldn't pat the couch. Like that is that specific signal for that situation that I want to cuddle. I want to be close. Yeah. Generally it's like, we kind of, when we're eating, we have space when, um, I'm kind of working on work things or, you know, just personal development. Like usually that's the kind of like time where I'm like in my zone and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with, you know, him, like if he's leaving, kissing me goodbye and things like that. But if it's like really like closeness and cuddling and things like that, it's much stronger of that communication signal of like, I'm, I'm in the mood for this right now. Right. And so when you're doing things like work and your own stuff is when you definitely don't want that kind of level of cuddling or touching, right? Yeah. Like if it's, you know, past, like if he's leaving and stuff, of course, that's fine. Or just the occasional like kiss throughout the day, but definitely like not like sitting next to each other and kind of like being physically cuddly or initiating anything like that. You know, usually when I'm in my zone, I'm in my zone. Sure, sure. So is there a way, because you're both working from home right now, right? More or less, yeah. So is there a way where during the day, you're in your zone, you're in your zone, and he knows not to bug you, but that you maybe take an intentioned break for 10 minutes or five minutes and step away from your work and you guys can like have a hug and a kiss? Does that sound like something that you would feel comfortable with or that would work for you? Yeah, because it's that constant. Um, and I don't think this is out like totally contained within the aspect of discomfort around intimacy. It's more about a respective space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that definitely I could communicate. Yeah. Like have that conversation around like being intentional around those moments, as opposed to like just interrupt what I'm doing. Right. Um, and I think that probably is a conversation I do need to have and to communicate that. Yeah. I mean, no one likes to be interrupted when they're doing something, especially when you're in the zone. Um, But I think because that's his love language, it's kind of how can you make time for his love language in a consistent way that he won't. It's almost like, you know, when we give people something, then they don't feel the need to ask for it as much. And it sounds a little bit like the stress of him asking for it and feeling like you need to give it right then is what's a little triggering. Would you say that's accurate? 
Yeah, it's more that I would say it's more that he kind of just initiates like on his own timeline. Yeah. And it it kind of creates like, and I'm so used to kind of just letting that go and not yeah. being like, no, like I need to focus. And I, I still do that now. And I think that's kind of part of it, like to where I haven't always clarified those guidelines or that, you know, like even if I'm sitting at my computer without my headphones in, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm like, even in general, ready to talk or just ready to, um, you know, be pulled out of that. Right. Well, and I would say going back to the nature of sexual abuse, it's a power dynamic, right? So I would think that it's really important for you that you are the initiator and that you are able to say yes on your own terms and your own timeline, right? To kind of reclaim that power and feel safe in the situation. And so I would say, yeah, creating some more boundaries around the times when you really know that you're not going to want it, you know, Um, but making more intentional time for the times when you want, you can do it. And what you're already doing with the padding the couch thing, right? Like how can you create more of those throughout the day? You know, Um, do you guys cuddle it all in bed in the morning or in the evening? Uh, Yeah, usually that's kind of our kind of consistent way of where, and I think I'm naturally like, if I'm like, I want to continue sleeping, like that's, you know, yeah, an area where there's probably a little more communication around, but usually like we'll have longer get up, you know, get up and out of bed mornings. Mm -hmm. And um, we have like, usually have some time before we go to sleep when we're both reading or what have you. Good. Yeah. I would say bookending your days with trying to do that a little bit more. You know, and even just like um, in moments when you are not in the zone or when you've gotten up, you know, to go get a snack or you've just gotten off a call, you know, those kind of transitional moments throughout the day, you know, and see like, could I give him a kiss right now? You know, just a quick kiss or whatever you might be comfortable with grabbing his hand, you know, just kind of noticing like, could I be in the mood for this? Would I feel comfortable initiating this and, and thinking about it more? So that it doesn't feel maybe as intrusive when he does it because he's initiating less. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I I definitely think that's when we've kind of gone through these kind of conversations in the past, it's like usually he'll lean towards me like initiating more. um, And that kind of creates a better balance. And I think that sometimes we just need to have a little reset around that because I think, you know, old habits die hard or you know, old, yeah. you know, and it's just, sometimes it flows back to like, dare I say free for all around just, you know, interruptions and whatnot and just be like, yeah, kind of make it more intentional and talk about that. Yeah. And, and I think on the flip side of that too, you initiating more, but maybe him working on, you know, maybe he's not the most verbal communicator, but this is going back to the safe word thing. Safe word for you, you know, safe words generally, at least when it comes to sex, are like saying no, like I don't want any more of that, right? Yeah. But I think they can also be kind of instigating type words if used in a certain way, or they can really mean anything you want them to mean as long as it's agreed upon, right? So mm-hmm. maybe there's a way that he can have a word around like when he needs a little more physical touch, you know what I mean? Or like maybe when he, rather than just jumping into physically initiating with you, if he's feeling like he needs to, 
maybe there's a question he can ask you, like, is this a good time? Or, you know, can I get a kiss? Or like asking, you know, Mm -hmm. so that you can, again, be the person to say yes or no. Like maybe you say, I'm in the middle of something right now. Can I catch you in a couple minutes? You know? And so he doesn't have to be too verbal about it because there are these kind of like regular phrases or, you know, words he can lean on so that, you know, like he wants to initiate and then you can like, at least giving you the space to decide Mm -hmm. rather than just physically going for it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that, I think we have, yeah, I think we have some basis around, um, ways that we can do that already to where like, we just need to have that defining conversation of what those things mean or can mean to kind mm-hmm. of clarify the distinction better. Yeah. And keeping it really basic because, you know, like all habits and routines, they're built on the back of consistency and just keeping it simple so that it can actually be done, you know, so that mm-hmm. people are more willing to do it. Um, I'm also curious just like when it comes to sex itself, you know, how that kind of plays out. Is there safety around that? Do you feel kind of good when it is usually happening? Do you initiate it kind of equally? How does that work? Um, I feel like that's actually something that's gotten better because like we've had the conversation around like really strongly me being the initiator. And if I'm not, you know, I think there was a moment in time where neither of us were really initiating. And so there was a lot of um, gray area. Mm-hmm. And because he's not really a verbal communicator romantically, there was a lot of miscommunication around that. But now it's like, I feel like we've created a dynamic where I'm generally the one initiating. But at the same time, like he'll, you know, he'll clue me in. Like if it's a good, like that he's like, you know, wants it or is ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then I'm the one kind of responding to that or be like, oh, tonight, you know, before bed or Cool, cool, cool. Uh, another thing I was thinking in regards to both sex, but also just trust building around physicality could be interesting. I don't know if you've ever tried Tantra. Have you ever done that with your boyfriend at all? No, we haven't. Are you familiar with what Tantra is? Um, A little bit. I've you know, read, you know, a little bit of videos, documentaries that like touch upon it very briefly. Sure. So I'm, you know, I'm not a practitioner myself. I've, I've done it and I've learned about it a bit, but there's one exercise that I've done and, you know, Tantra is really about connecting on another level. That's how I think about it, that, you know, it's kind of a holistic approach to love and that sometimes we just very automatically do it physically, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's that we can actually become more aroused and more activated when we connect energetically and on an emotional level. And so there are a lot of different exercises you can do. Uh, One that I've done, which is really, I thought really great is where you sit with your clothes off facing each other in chairs and Mm -hmm you actually look into each other's eyes and don't do anything for a while and then like touch each other's hearts Mm -hmm. and look into each other's eyes at the same time. And you don't do anything physical until someone asks and you ask each step of the way, can I touch your heart? Can I, you know, and then if you want to start slowly getting physical, you can, but it's a slow build where you're just like sitting in that space. And like, I don't know, there's something very powerful about, sitting in that space, you know, naked, just totally vulnerable, staring at each other, you know, and really taking each other in. 
and asking permission and going slowly. And, and especially when you're looking at each other in the eye, it's like you're building a different kind of connection, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just thinking it could be an interesting experiment for you guys in terms of trust building around physicality, you know, mm-hmm. um, as something to play with. And I'm sure there's lots of other exercises too, but just kind of, yeah, getting that feeling of safety in that space with him, you know, yeah, um, could be, could be interesting. Yeah. I definitely think there's something around that where we can kind of find the, you know, the right size exercise that kind of helps to build that. Um, because I think too, like when I, when I do think of sex, like for me, it, I do usually make it more physical and less emotional. And, um, that's like a practice that I'm trying to disengage from and re-engage much more emotionally and intentionally as well. So taking that to another level might be really good for us. Yeah. And, and also do you guys talk about sex at all with each other? Like your sex? Uh, yes, we do. Yeah. He's, okay. um, he's definitely much more like a, someone who intellectualizes that the idea quite a bit, um, you know, more, I would say sometimes a little more technicality wise than it's really about just kind of the uh, experience. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that goes to a a similar level of, you know, not being able to talk about like, or talk around like more of the, the word, you know, making it more verbal, like romantic and sexual conversation rather than just it being more physical because that's what he's comfortable with. And on the other end of things, it's much more of an intellectualized conversation around like, you know, like this really helped me. That didn't help me kind of picking apart the situation a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. Then rather it being kind of us really getting to like the emotionality or more than just kind of the physical part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that still counts as talking about it, though. You know, there are some couples who will go and have sex and not talk about how it was, you know, or recap it or talk about what I liked, what I didn't like. I'm really liking this. You know, I could use more of this. Um, So is that that's something it sounds like you guys do, you'd say? Yeah, I would definitely say probably more on his end than mine. So I think I probably do need to speak up more for myself in those conversations. Mm-hmm. I'm usually the one kind of sitting back and taking mental notes and understanding what worked and what didn't work. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense based on you considering his needs mm-hmm. and putting people's needs first. And so that's an area where I would encourage you, whether during or after, or just in general, you know, I find sometimes people are uncomfortable to say what they really need when it comes to sex, because it's such a, you know, ego thing wrapped up in it sometimes. And you don't want to make someone feel bad if they're doing something that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. But I find really reinforcing the positive is good. You know, saying things I really, really like, or, you know, could you do more of this? You know, um, because I know that, you know, especially men really want to please when they know what it is that you want, you know? Mm Um, so maybe even just getting used to verbalizing that a little bit more afterwards or during, or, you know, whenever you feel the desire to say it or speak about it, I think could be good for you too. Yeah. And I think intellectualizing is okay, 
as long as it's not being intellectualized during, if that makes sense. Like talking about it in retrospect, I think it makes sense that it would be intellectualized a little bit because you're not in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Tantra is really good for kind of connecting on an energetic level in the moment, you know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So I think in general, it's, it's really just like him being open, which it sounds like he is to you really setting the tone and, and you also being able to put up your boundaries, knowing that honestly, just because we create a boundary doesn't mean that it's set in stone. Right. And I only say that because it could very well be that in order to initially create that safety and that trust, the boundary has to be respected. And maybe as your relationship evolves, you'll kind of want to engage physically more. Maybe not, you know, but like the point is, is that if that's what you need right now to feel safe, like that's what you, you know, want to ask for. And then once you have that feeling of trust and safety, you might not need as much, if that makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And so, and I think that sometimes it's easier to communicate that when you can let someone know, like, this isn't permanent. This is what I need right now. And I don't know how long into the future I'm going to need it, but in order for me to kind of reteach myself safety and, and learn that you're a safe place, like this would really be helpful for me, you know, right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that will definitely help just at that level of like, Hey, this is this is me. This is a part of me working through what I've gone through. And it's not any real long-term indication of how I feel about you. And I think that's, you know, the kind of gap that I, that I need to focus on filling because sometimes when you talk about boundaries, it feels like it's a boundary against someone as opposed to a boundary I personally need. And it doesn't have anything to do with the other person. Yeah. And that probably if physical touches his love language and you're shying away, he probably does need a certain level of reassurance you know? And so again, going back to reassuring him verbally, but also reassuring him physically in the ways that you decide upon and the ways that you feel comfortable on your terms, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think having clarity around that would be great for you guys. And then in general, do you have any kind of other questions or thoughts in relation to this or just kind of around trust at all um, in any other regard? No, I think that this has given me like a lot of intentional work that I, you know, that I need to do and the communication that I need to have with him more often about kind of what, you know, what works for me, what works for both of us, having him, you know, bring him himself to the table. And I think that there's a lot more that we could be doing there to strengthen our relationship and build that level of trust. And of course, you know, ensuring that, you know, he understands it's not something against him Um, and kind of reaffirming like my interest and my, you know, attraction and all of that at the same time to be sure, like he knows that it's not a bit like, it sounds weird, but it's not about him. Like it's really about me and what I need and Mm -hmm. nothing to do with really our relationship. Yeah. I, I think that's all very true and accurate. And also, you know, when you were talking, I was thinking it could even be you letting him know, like you look really hot today you know? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not a physical thing, but it's around his physicality, you know? So he knows there's a, or making comments, you know, to like get him excited for the future physical thing, you know? So he knows you're interested in him physically, even if you're not being physical in that moment, you know? Yeah, I definitely, and being that, I guess I, you know, 
have a tendency to lean towards words of affirmation a lot of times. I think overall, we're both very much quality time as well, mm-hmm. but he leans more to physical touch. I lean more towards affirmation. So literally, you know, mm-hmm. the entire time we're together in the same place, like I'm always giving him compliments. Good. Like that already. Good. So good. And I think you touched on something else that's important that we've probably said a little bit, but that I want to reiterate that when you said we need to have these communications more often. And I think that really is key because I think a lot of times people think of communication as we need to have a talk, Mm -hmm. you know, like there's this like myth out there that communication is just like sitting and having a really big heart to heart when actually in most relationships that are ever evolving, it's having little tiny discussions all the time or little tiny bits of communication throughout the day. And like I said, ritualizing those communications and having them be like a language of themselves that you both speak, you know, finding where those two love languages come together and creating habits around that language so that you can function in a way that you're both comfortable with every day, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then you don't have these bigger conversations, like these life-changing conversations you have to have because you have that language built into the dynamic of your relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Well, I hope that that helps you. And, you know, just in terms of fearful avoidance, I just wanted to note one more thing for you. You had mentioned a little bit, you know, separate from this, that you sometimes struggle to use the word love or in a community setting or like with clients, you know, using kind of effusive wording like that. So this kind of is relevant in the sense that, you know, the nature of someone who's fearful avoidant is this kind of feeling of wanting to be close and then wanting to pull away. And the avoidant side of you, it sounds to me, is slightly related to the physical part in terms of getting overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. That's a very avoidant trait to feel emotionally or physically overwhelmed by closeness. And I think that that is showing up a little bit in terms of when you feel like you want to connect with people who maybe aren't your partner. You said something to me on the last call about, I don't want to, I think you use the word overwhelm or make them feel like it's too much that I'm saying like, I'd love to see you again, or there's a fear that you're putting that heavy emotion on them. Mm -hmm. And so my note to you just with that is that I think that is kind of a projection because you don't like having that heavy emotion put on you because that's the avoidant factor, you know? Mm-hmm. That's actually um, good. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, it doesn't sound like that shows up in the same way in your romantic partnership in terms of like, like, you know, you're not going to overwhelm him, but to just know that, like, I think you mentioned you were doing things like trying to use the words very lightly, a little bit more like much love or, you know, I think do whatever you're comfortable with. But I think just sometimes knowing where something's coming from can give us so much more perspective on how we use it in our life you know? So I'd say if it feels genuine is when you want to use it, you know, and that there's no need for you to use it unless you want to. Um, but know that that's your story and not necessarily theirs. So just a little side note there, kind of in relation to the overall picture of just feeling comfortable expressing yourself and, and being close. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it is a, definitely a projection. I'm starting to notice certain of these of those kinds of patterns kind of come up where I'll spiral and overthink a situation um, and add so much of myself into things. And then once I get more insight around the situation, I realize that that was all me. That was my story. That wasn't anything around the other person. 
Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for being so honest and raw and sharing your story because it takes a lot to pull old stuff like this up, you know, and to identify it and talk about it and share it. And so it really does mean a lot to me that you trust me enough to share it on this podcast and, you know, have me support you in it. So thank you so much for that. So it definitely really helps me. I think one way that I've been kind of confronting my various traumas really to be very open around it to the right people. And that helps me um, learn how to express myself and my voice in a way that I can be truly authentic and share what is really vital to every, you know, other people going through similar situations or, and so that's just been kind of a testament to my journey as I become more self-aware. I know that I need to be more comfortable in sharing because that's where all the good stuff happens. 100%. Thank you for listening to the Truer Love Stories podcast. If you'd like to share your personal love story and have me coach you on air, please email me at hello at truerlove.com. And if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, your support would mean so much to me. Please make sure to subscribe on Spotify as well as follow me on Instagram at underscore truerlove underscore. You can also join my mailing list and book a free love guidance consultation with me at truerlove.com. In the meantime, stay true to yourself and talk to you soon.